You're listening to the Prison Poetry Workshop Podcast. I'm Ren Smith. Here we present readings, commentary, recordings, and stories about the little-known and even less understood literary tradition of prison poetry. to Mount McGregor, a medium-security prison in upstate New York. It's about a 50-minute drive from Albany, and as it comes into view, looks a lot like the setting of the next Stephen King novel. Clung to the side of the 1,070-foot mountain that is its namesake, McGregor's brown brick looms tall and shadowy encircled by razor wire and thronged by forest. So what I think our next project is going to be is that we're going to be writing our feminist epic poems. (laughs) That's poet Kara Benson starting a session of McGregor's poetry workshop. McGregor is ostensibly a tough place. According to the Correctional Association of New York, about 54% of its inmates are serving time for violent offenses. Yet, we might as well be in a liberal arts class. The 10 men in forest green uniform taking instruction from Kara today don't blink at being asked to channel their inner Gloria Steinem. For now, though, they'll be exploring more familiar themes. The award-winning poet whose work they're discussing today, Jimmy Santiago Baca, did eight years in a New Mexican prison and wrote stunningly about it. Okay, so this is the Jimmy Santiago Baca poem. How we carry ourselves. Edwin Santana, also known as Mo, begins reading. How we carry ourselves. To others in prisons, I am the broken reed in this deftly organ. I am those mad glazed eyes staring from bars, the silent stone look that knows like other stones the smell of working feet, knows how long and wide a human can spread over centuries, each step until we now step on dust and rock of prisons. I could not throw my feelings away, shoot them like wild horses, stone them like weeping dirty prophets, could not machete them, pioneering a new path. I sought no mountain, no brave deed, I sought to remain human, to look and feel wind bless me. Chicanos, blacks, whites, Indians, we are all here, our blood all red. We are all filled with endurance and have tasted the blade, smelled the gun's oily smoke of death. We are still hunks of gear and frayed ropes, our hands the tool sheds, our heads the incessant groan of never-ending revolving wheels in an empty, gaunt warehouse. Our blood dripping from steel joints like grease and oil onto granite floors. I meant to say you can turn away from this. If you can take the hammering, they will give. If you can hold on while they grip you and hurl you ragefully at the ground. If you can bite your teeth when they bend you. And still you do not fit. You can be who you are. In the poem, Baca talks about holding on to humanity in a place where that can be difficult. You can see the morning and breathe in God's grace. You can laugh at sparrows and find love in yourself for the sun. You can learn what is inside you. You can know silence. 
You can look at the dark gray machine around you, souls going up like bellows of black smoke, and decide what you will do next. You who are the main switch, who turns everything off, but you breathing, smiling, struggling, turning yourself on. Jimmy Santiago Bob. Naturally, nice it's nice. a poem that resonates. Poem? As the men were pondering it in their dormitories the night before, Edwin went to fellow prisoner Chris Taylor to ask about the final line. You are the main switch that turns everything off. But you, breathing, smiling, struggling, turning yourself well, on. He asked me, well, what is it? He asked me, what is this guy talking about? Turning stuff off and then turning stuff on. What I explained to him was that uh, uh, we, we oftentimes spend our time in prison uh, doing the opposite of what this poem suggests, which is to turn ourselves off and turn the environment on. So I, what I was explaining to him was that if you go back to the the other stanza where he said you can be who you are mm. and turning the environment off because it's just uh, a place. And that and that and that right there when when he's when he brought that up I started thinking about it so I read it again. Lines are dissected, inspected, and dissected again. This poem hits home. The faint smile inmate Mike Adam wears would seem to hide what's going on inside. We speak about or write about what's in front of us and. Uh, and I'm still waiting to empty myself of the rage. I find myself, uh, I look back over the last five poems I wrote, and it's all, as you say, you know, Mike, tell us why you're angry. And I just can't, I'm waiting to empty myself of this so that I can get beyond that. And, uh, and unfortunately, uh, this, this poem came up, so uh, uh, it takes me uh, back to it. Uh, anyway, this is uh, my response. Uh, but if Mike sees the rage in Baca's poem, he also sees its call for transformation and echoes that theme in his response poem. Unspeaking, I rise from a night doused in guilt, ignited by shame and self-crucifixion and recrimination. I reanimate, folding my hands, I pray for a reason, then bend low and put on humble shoes. If so, then perhaps... I might risk walking with dignity. As you can imagine, the power of redemption is a common theme here. Edwin, for instance, writes about it in his Baca response poem. He's pretty hard on both himself and his fellow inmates. We are the desolate ones, shackled to each other through this experience called doing time. Pillars of the law have been smashed by the sledgehammer that is our reckless behavior. We should be ashamed. They have tried us for trying to shave the corners of a square life meant to be squarely lived. We have been inducted as members of a shameful group. But behold, my comrades, redemption is not above us. It's as tangible as the sweetest fruit picked by a farmer. The road to it starts at change. We must embrace it like a warm blanket on frozen winter's night like medicine when you are ill, like a mother's lovingly hug at the gates of freedom. Today is Amendment Day, pledged to stop the ripples of wrong we have created in the sea of life. Time has refined us. The world will benefit from our ken. God will no longer shed his tears upon the earth because of us. 
You cannot spell preservation without serve. A cage is only surrounds us. It doesn't define us. And neither does a scratch record. But it does skip. As Edwin finishes up his poem, there are nods of affirmation Thank around you. the room. Nice. So that kind of inspired me to go that way. I, mean, I don't know if I responded to it correctly, but it moved me in a way that I just had this... Um, lately, I don't know if y'all know this about my poems, but lately I've been on a, a road to redemption in my poems, so to speak. So you know, like, what does Edwin want redemption for? It's all over the internet, courtesy of newspapers like the New York Times and the New York Post. Edwin's crime involves a stop-and-frisk in an old 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. The search went bad when the revolver, which had been tucked in Edwin's waistband, say reports, hit the ground and accidentally went off, injuring a police officer. It's obvious that Edwin has used his prison time to do a lot of soul-searching about the incident, to figure himself out. You know, like, I'm sorry for what I've done, you know, like, you know, it's crazy, but, you know, the world of redemption isn't easy, you know, and nobody said that, so, and I have a lot to redeem from and it's and it's the road redemption. It's littered with metaphor. And it's littered with <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> you just peeked in on the poetry workshop at Mount McGregor's prison in Wilton, New York. Poet Kara Benson started the program in 2005, and has helped inspire many a talented prison poet. But what happens to those deep souls once they make it back into the outside world? An hour south of Mount McGregor's, a veteran of the poetry workshop is trying to make ends meet. My name is Doug Anderson. Right now I'm 52 years old. Um, I've just been released from, from prison for serving a 31-year sentence. Derek has been out of prison for nine months. He's happy to be back at home with his wife and kids, but the family has fallen on hard times. It's the end of the month, and the rent is due. Although he's found work as a cab driver, his wife recently lost her job at a local pawn shop, leaving the household short on cash. So today, we're heading with him to downtown Albany, where he hopes a government employment training specialist for the city can help him find extra work. Oh, am I supposed to be here to see Mr. Taylor? Uh, Mike Taylor. Yeah. Uh, Mike know about it? Yeah, he knows about it. Mike Taylor is the specialist in question and seems to genuinely want to help. The two sit in a large conference room. Mike dressed in a collared shirt and tie, Derek in T-shirt and jeans. They know each other. Derek has become a fixture there. In the past, Mike has cautioned Derek that it takes time to get on your feet after being released from prison. But Derek feels himself running out of road now. I don't know what type of employment that you may know that may be available at this time, but I'm in an immediate need situation. Mike knows it's hard to find employers willing to take on someone with a record. He gives Derek a list of employers who have done so in the past and says he'll offer them some incentives to hire Derek. But what I'm willing to do is to offer them a reimbursement situation to where you can work for them for 40 hours a week. Um, at the end of the month, they, 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 they contact us with your timesheet. 
and we give them 50% of what they paid out to you, we, we give them 50% of it back. Derek grows anxious. He says Mike gave him the same list weeks ago. Some jobs he's qualified for require recertifications or licenses he can't afford. As a cab driver, he's already paying $100 a shift for what's called a medallion, basically a rented taxi permit. Mike advises him to stay positive. I'm going to get you to the means. Once I get you to the means, it's going to be up to you to sell yourself. Back home, Derek sits on his front step with his 16-year-old son, watching traffic go by. He digs out a poem he wrote while participating in McGregor's poetry workshop called Criminal Psychology. It speaks to the cynicism he's feeling today. All right. It goes, you and I were taught, I thought, the lessons of many lives lost in mixed numbers that bled to believe change in therapy would become more than an investment of job security or a bunch of word gymnastics criminally articulated like a boring bedtime story told to a fatherless son, criminal. The story? Parole is denied at this time because we believe to release you would depreciate the nature of this crime. Let's rewind. I thought the experience oppression, I thought the time progression, I thought the lessons learned made us better, not worse. Then again, I never made your introduction because our good mornings were always your goodbyes. That's criminal psychology. If Derek finds himself slipping further into despondency, he knows what to do with the heartache. Write it down. He's still a dedicated poet, passionate enough about his work to send new material to a friend of his from his Mount McGregor days via text. Carefully, he pecks out each stanza on his cell phone. The friend who lives all the way in New York City, is this guy. Sean Dalpiaz, I live in Brooklyn. Sean has been out of prison for four years and has been lucky enough to land a job. He ended up marrying a co-worker, and the two are now expecting a child. With everything that's going on, he still finds time to read Derek's poems and to reply with some of his own. Let's see if I can pull it up. He flips open his phone and reads one he wrote about a woman he saw outside a local grocery store. And I was sitting outside of Seatown and in a car, and I was just watching this lady. She caught my attention, an old woman, like someone's grandmother, obviously. And I just wrote a whole poem on her, so I called the poem Seatown. At the supermarket, she stands alone, cold wind chipping at her bones. EBT shame, she plays her part. At the bus stop, she stands strong, Fidgeting with flimsy plastic bags, her tethered coat drags. On her way down the block, her eyes tear dreams and catch the schemes of peripheral men. Her grandsons of anarchy hold up in the basement. Stubbed out Newports and half-full pints of adolescent chagrin. In her kitchen, the pork fries and memories are forbidden to die. Her black Jesus smiles his wooden grin, a second crucifixion. On Nana's wooden paneled walls, he has seen her ball many a times. At the door of her bedroom, she approaches cautiously, like the Boston PD in Watertown. At the foot of her bed lies a wooden television. In the kaleidoscope gleam, she tears a dream of an anointed pope from her homeland. She gets on bended knee, praying hell will stop using her as his dream. 
Sean says that back at McGregor, both he and Derek were devout about attending the workshops and reveled in prison readings called speakouts. Speakouts are held in the prison chapel where voices ricochet along wooden rafters. It's almost as like you're blanketed in the, in the spoken word. It's almost like the spoken word is coming at you from every different angle. Uh, some nights I felt like it was like we were all breathing new life into each other. We all walked out of there with enough energy to go through another day and feeling rejuvenated. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Speak Out. Hoping to better understand what Sean means, we go to a Speak Out, and it's anything but disappointing. As night falls and storm fronts royal the horizon, 60 inmates have packed into a mountainside church. It's nice. There's not much here that reminds the men they're in prison. There are stained glass windows and a pipe organ, for goodness sake. Edwin Santana, the guy keen on redemption and metaphor, is given a glowing introduction by Mike Adam, the inmate working on the rage in his poems. I'd like to introduce to you Mo Santana. Edwin looks cool and confident as he takes the podium. Thank you, Mike. You didn't have to do that, brother. But I appreciate it. He sets the stage. Clearly, he's about to go epic. Many people ask me around uh, the facility, you know, they ask me why we come down to the, the poetry class and every Monday. Well, in order to answer that question, I ask some questions. And I say, have you ever heard of uh, Jane Cortez, Walt Whitman, Adrian Castro, uh, Maya Angelou, uh, Alice Notley, Hannah Wiener, Mohammed Tafik Ali, and they stopped me right there and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have heard about Maya Angelou. So, you know, I say, okay, all right. I say, you guys, so, you know, you're working with something. But I say that these legendary poets, that we, we review them, reviewed them down in the class. And, you know, and I have learned that to know them, to know these poets, is to be inspired by them. Well, I, I have met them through Cara Benson, and I have been inspired by them. So this is my poem, Autobiographical. I am enjoying the fast life at the most expensive venues, witnessing well-to-doers drop 4,000 a night for a sweep. I am enjoying the fast life on Gates Avenue. I am a Puerto Rican American. I was born in Puerto Rico. I wrote speeches for the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party. I met Abiso Campos, visiting the Campo, as Hector Lavoe sang. I hopped on the J train to America. I am a Puerto Rican American. I sold piraguas on the corner of the Avenue of Americas. I am only half blind. I once rode a malfunctional Ferris wheel at the Coney Island of my mind. There is always darkness before the dawn. I'm a pessimist optimistic about life and death. I am a complex organism. I may have paid to see a lethargic artist splash tears across a bloody canvas on a White House wall, but I just remembered that I'm just very forgetful. You can tell from the look on Edwin's face that the applause is satisfying and cathartic. Thank you.
I'm Ren Smith. We'll be back next week with more prison poetry. To find out how you can lend your voice to our poetry archive, go to prisonpoetryworkshop.org.